millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. That was good. That was very, that was very enjoyable. It, it's, but do you, yeah, do you see, do, do you get the point of the analogy though? Like he's a, he's a lonely boy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's an outsider in the international community and he like, he starts to get a bit of the Kim Jong-un treatment. Like, oh, the mad Zia Al-Haq, like that mm. guy. Uh, like, oh, probably actually a better analogy would be Idi Amin. So this is like an Idi Amin sort of figure in Pakistan. Because not only does he get rid of Bhutto, he actually begins something called the Islamization policy. Now, Pakistan had been only a moderately Muslim country a before. Of fear as well, at this point, you'd imagine. Oh, totally. Yeah, in, in going against the military. Yeah, I mean, they've just killed the leader. Yeah. Like, they're going to kill anyone else, right? That goes against them. Totally. Mm. And the, the way that... So, Pakistan still kept some of its democratic institutions. So, it still had like a Supreme Court, which could be the highest court of appeal. But the Supreme Court was stacked with people appointed by Zia. So... There was a veneer of democracy, but obviously not practicing. He suspended the constitution. He's not really practicing any sort of democratic rule. And obviously there's a lot of fear in going against against Zia. So you have Zia doing this, but he also begins the Islamization policy. And that was to make Pakistan radically Muslim. Now you might think, okay, that's like, he, he's not trying to do some Al-Qaeda stuff or anything. He's not saying go bomb thing. Yeah, that's not what he's going for. What he's actually going for is probably an attempt at trying to unify Pakistan together. Because Pakistan, mm. the, the, the name Pakistan, it comes from the different tribes in that area that are each very distinct nations in, in of themselves. What's Pakistan's national language apart from English? It's not Hindi, by the way. Is it Arab? No. But it makes, that would make sense given it being the language of Islam. Thank you for affirming the logic of my guess. I'm not going to hang you out to dry because... No, it escapes me. I've heard it. It's Urdu. Okay. So Urdu is the language of Pakistan, but that is a manufactured language of Pakistan in the sense that that was not the majority tongue when Pakistan began. That has slowly become the spoken tongue because it was instituted by the constitution and then everyone had to learn it in school. 
what the, do the um the Pakistani players start saying when they when they're going well? They're up and about. What do they say? Isn't it like Shaba Shaba? Uh, <laughs> could be yeah like uh, yeah I hope so um, <laughs> I just remembered when I used to play international cricket 2010 on the PS3 they would have generic voices for each group Brilliant. so Brilliant. If, if, if you're an Australian or New Zealand you got a wicket it'd be like a how's that um, <laughs> South Africa or England would have like a how was that one and then any of the subcontinental one would have how was he? <laughs> and so just like, and then oh, the Windies got, the West Indies got their own, like, yep. yeah, well, I won't yep. do the Jamaican accent, but yeah, obviously got your very Caribbean veneer, mm. but the, the pure bigotry against the subcontinental <laughs> teams, it was, it was just insulting. <laughs> so what do they say when? Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to find it straight away here. Anyway, point being is that, Pakistan has so many languages and each tribe kind of speaks their own area. So you go to an area called Balochistan, um, which is kind of southwest Pakistan. And your main two languages there are not Urdu or English or even Punjabi. It's Balochi and Pashto. And so they're, they're your main languages that are spoken in that part of Pakistan. You go to Punjab, obviously Punjabi is the main language that's spoken in that area. None of those languages are the national language of Pakistan. For all the comments we make about America being like you're a divided country, the division is on do you like Trump or do you like Biden? It's not do you speak different languages Hmm. or are you in in an entirely different ethnic group to each other? And so basically you have this huge issue in Pakistan where Pakistan, because it was partitioned not on ethnicity, not on geography, but was partitioned on religion, Zia goes, okay, how can we make a unified country that doesn't have like any sorts of division issues whatsoever, will define the country around Islam and we will embrace that Islamic identity. And with Islamization, basically some pretty extreme stuff came through. So he put clerics that were experts in Sharia law in the Supreme Court and Supreme Court could deal with issues of Sharia law. The more interesting one, I think, was that blasphemy laws were introduced. So it was a crime to offend someone uh, or offend Allah um, or offend any god. I, th- I think the constitution doesn't actually specify Allah, just any god. Um, but obviously in practice, that means mm. like the Allah of Islam. And the punishment for that could be stoning to death. Wow. So stoning gets reintroduced in Pakistan. Damn, guess who's back? Yes. And so ob- obviously at that point, the international community that you know are very much under the control of America is the Soviets are in strong decline are kind of like looking very snobbishly down on Pakistan. They're Mm. like, you have stoning backward country, which obviously I don't disagree with as a sentiment, but that's just going to further vilify Pakistan Mm. and and further embolden them. And so Zia is actually, like I said before, like the Dan Humphrey of the international community. Now, Dan Humphrey gets in with with the Upper East Side crew. Mm. Yeah. Zia gets in with the Western Bloc crew. (laughs) So is wait, is Dan Humphrey, is he in is he in Brooklyn or the Bronx? Where is, Brooklyn. He's in Brooklyn, Brooklyn. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Hmm. So Brooklyn <laughs> is our Pakistan year, and, and he makes it in with the. So who does he? I recently who, was there. Who, who's his Upper East Side True. equivalent? Well, Sorry, P-Y- 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 was in the Upper East Side. Yeah, yeah. I actually met someone who lived in the Upper East Side last week. Yeah, I don't know. That was, were they everything? Were they on Gossip Girl? <laughs> yeah. I was staying at my auntie's house. 
Do they have thing. a house in the Hamptons? No, I don't think okay. so. I didn't. I really. I didn't lean too much into, <laughs> into like. They'll, yeah, they're like oh, because I was recently in New York, so I asked where I stayed. Like, oh, it's great there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's very hectic, and I'm up in the Upper East Side, which is much more quiet. <laughs> That's very good. That's um, very good. So, so yeah. So that, so so Zia Al Haq gets involved with the, the Western Bloc because the Soviets invade Afghanistan. And so the, the American money dried up throughout the 70s. Even under Jimmy Carter, it came to a complete stop. So finally, in 1979, 1980, we reached a uh, kind of, I think it was a financial year, where America gave $0 in military aid to Pakistan. First time, really, since they started the whole process. But then Zia al Haq is really important because he's next door to Afghanistan, which gets invaded by the Soviets, and they don't want the Soviets to fall to Afghanistan. Then they pump a whole lot more money into Pakistan to help train the and fund and support the Mujahideen, who, when we looked at the Osama bin Laden episode, were the resistance fighters against the Soviets. Hmm. And so Zia al-Haq then gets back in with, with, the, with the Western crew because he's now politically convenient. And all his sins of, of the bygone era are now forgotten about completely. Was that, like, was that all a bit hush-hush? Because I'd imagine... The, still the worldwide sentiment about Pakistan might have been pretty not good because like stoning and stuff. Was that was it public knowledge that the US was supporting? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's the same way that like we, we like we'll see during the war on terror, Pakistan had a had a military coup mm. and America still supported the military government because it was the war on terror. Yeah. So like it was just a so shame. I guess they just sort of this is a fish to fry. Yeah, this is worthy in the pursuit of fighting against communism. But yeah. we won't talk about all any of the issues that we spoke about before because that yeah. would you know, it, it, it sour the public against what, mm. we, what we're trying to do here. Side note, Cricket World, T20 World Cup this year, India versus Pakistan in New York City. Wow, what a... What? What a full circle this podcast has become. <laughs> <laughs> That's another layer to this Dan Humphrey. <laughs> That's a biggie. Wow. Because the MCG one sold out in like less than five. When they played um, it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And now. What a game that was as well. Yeah. Coley. Perhaps, hopefully this is giving some context to why that would be a five minute sellout now. Yeah. As you think yeah, about the rivalry yeah. between yeah. those two nations. They don't play each other outside of, um, outside of the World Cup where they have to. Yeah, okay. So it's good. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And that, that MCG game apparently was just, I mean, I've heard like just the, the best atmosphere from sports events and that's from like commentators and stuff who have been to a lot of good sports events. Mm. So what you're saying is we need to partition a country, <laughs> facilitate uh, a 50, 60 year long Cold War, then get them to play in a game and then we get... Their yeah. Own yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. And then I think as well... Another interesting, I guess, note from that game was uh, no one in the beer lines. Yeah, a, that's cool. An Australian sport event, they usually just mm. long queues, but the concourses were empty and not one person left their seat. The that's cool. I like, I, I like that. Yeah. And I wonder, yeah, do you reckon the tour guide from Lords was involved in partition at all? Just want to <laughs> throw that out there. <laughs> It was, it was hiding something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If when he watched that game, he thought, yeah, this was worth it. Um, yeah. They're building like a, like a, uh, a stadium that's, what's the word when it's not there forever? Temporary. Tem- it's a temporary stadium. Thank you, Ben. Uh, yeah. In New York. 
Wow. Team for the game. We should go. <laughs> I just put that. Good to go. <laughs> um, so anyway, Zia dies in a plane crash. Um, oh, no. oh is, wow. So 1988, uh, Zia, and so too does the US ambassador to Pakistan is on the plane with Zia. So conspiracy. Yeah. yeah Obviously the plane didn't just crash. The, the best scientific theory behind it is that assassins smuggled toxic gas into a box of mangoes and then the toxic gas was released on the plane that wiped out the pilot and caused the plane to crash. Why were there mangoes on the plane? <laughs> <laughs> you are asking the right questions, Jake. <laughs> I'm try- uh, to be honest, I have been trying to figure out that exact... <laughs> if you look at my Google search history, you will find significantly too long spent and I got no answer. Yeah, we just yeah. go into Cab's room. It's just all this like red string and pins and stuff. It's all just back to the Calypso. mangoes. <laughs> <laughs> Clipso is my cat's name. <laughs> <laughs> and they're good mangoes. Yeah, they are, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically Zia al-Haq dies and that kind of ends the military era of Pakistan and it goes back to being a democracy. And the conspiracy... So, yeah, sorry, so who do they think did it? No one knows. Okay. And literally we've got the main theories that are out there. Soviets, because... Like he's the like he's getting so much yeah, American he is. funding, yeah. but you're like, well, sh- the next guy's just going to get American funding, mm. killing him, make anything. Mm. The other one's Americans; they can get someone who will take their funding in a way that they want, yeah. and, and and have kind of more strict control over. But then would they kill their own ambassador? Wouldn't put it past him. But like you, mm. that's their own ambassador. For me, what seems more likely is Pakistan is a majority Sunni country, but there are a significant Shia minority. The Shia, like again, 10 years before, we've got the Iranian Revolution, which is a Shiite uprising against the Shah. And kind of Shiite fanaticism is, is flying pretty high at this point. That's probably my theory as to, mm. as to who took the plane down. So anyway, Zia is gone. And we now get a prime minister in Pakistan once again. Bhutto is back. Wait a second. I thought you said Bhutto was dead. <laughs> his daughter. His daughter was now the prime minister of Pakistan. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. There you go. So she leads the first political party that we're going to cover because we're going to get to Imran Khan very soon. And so we're going to look at three political parties. She is the leader of the first one that we're going to discuss, the Pakistan People's Party, the PPP. The Triple P. Triple P. So they are probably like you call it the center-left party of Pakistan, more supportive of kind of having the state play a bigger role in the economy and a little less free market than the opposition. Mm-hmm. She gets replaced, the, so PPP gets voted out. The other party is called the Pakistan Muslim League and they come to power with a guy mm. called Nawaz Sharif. I'm, I'm a big fan of calling things leagues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually think of like the Pokemon League. <laughs> <laughs> the League of Shadows from Batman. Yeah. Justice League. Justice League. Yeah. yeah. Justice Crew. <laughs> <laughs> so Nawaz Sharif becomes the Prime Minister in the late 90s and under him, we actually have the completion of the Pakistan nuclear project. And Pakistan successfully tests nukes in 1998. In 1999, there's another coup. Oh my gosh. So you got the the Pakistan People's Party. They were voted out. You got the Pakistan Muslim League and he was toppled, or Nawaz Sharif, the leader of the Pakistan Muslim League, was toppled by the military leader, a guy called Puvez Musharraf. Okay. Or Musharraf, I think is probably more how you put more emphasis on the R. Anyway, um, 
Sharif saw this coup coming. So respect. He tried to basically didn't allow Musharraf to come back into the country because he saw what was going to happen. But obviously the generals were still all loyal to Musharraf and they got rid of Sharif anyway. Mm. So Musharraf took over. Now, the 90s was an interesting era in Pakistan geopolitics because they try and play a power broker sort of game. So you've got the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. That means that Pakistan is now useless for America. They serve no function for America anymore because the Soviets are gone. So the American money dries out completely for the military. Mm-hmm. You have these kind of burgeoning new countries like Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, you know, Uzbekistan, like this, the Central Asian stans all start to get independence from the Soviet Union. And you've got these new burgeoning countries. Now, basically, they've got to create a whole new national identity. They were Soviet for so long, and now they've got to create a new identity. Because they're Islamic, they want to create it around Islam. And because Pakistan did that themselves in the 70s under Zia al-Haq, Pakistan comes in and says, hey, we can help you with that process, our Muslim brothers. We can help you do that. And why don't, because you've got some like cool power reserves, why don't we create a pipeline from your country to our country? And that's a move that China would make. That is not, a pack, like Pakistan is too low on the pecking order. That's something we do to the Solomon Islands. Mm. Not Pakistan to Kazakhstan. Mm. That's a pretty big, big play. But they, they start working that project. Now to get that pipeline from Turkmenistan into Pakistan, you have to go through Pakistan's next door neighbor. India. Nah, other side. Oh, damn. Other side. <laughs> mm. the next um, what's the geography here, sorry? Explain. West of yeah. Pakistan. And it's... Well, left of Pakistan on a map. China. it's not India. Not, not China, not India? China. Uh, Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yeah. Mm. Now, the Taliban have come to power in Afghanistan. Oh, wait, right and right. initially, Pakistan support... Pakistan's had terrible relations with Afghanistan for most of their history. Initially, Pakistan supported the Taliban coming to power partially to get that pipeline through. They're like, sweet, they'll let us do that. And so initially, the, the, they're on very good terms to begin with. It's all hunky-dory. And then Pakistan just says to Afghanistan, just check in, or to the Taliban, just check in. You're cool with that border between our country, right? We call it the Durin line, the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan. Hmm. The Taliban goes, there's no borders between Muslim brothers. Pakistan's like, like yeah, we, we love Islam. We, we, we yeah. love Islam too. Don't get me wrong. We love it. We like borders as well. We yeah. like you're coming on a little strong. We um. we've, we've had some issues with borders before, and we just let this guy find the Taliban's like, there's no borders between Muslim brothers, <laughs> <laughs> and Pakistan's like, oh man, well, maybe we backed the wrong horse here, and then they start to have issues with the Taliban. Yeah. Now, Pakistan is getting no money from America. They've got issues with the Taliban. In 1999, Musharraf has basically come to power in this in this coup. And Sharif was exiled to Saudi Arabia. By the way, Central Asian countries, they still do exiles when coups happen. I think that's so cool. Just like, (laughs) (laughs) you have been sent to exile. And so Sharif got exiled to Saudi Arabia. I'm thinking about, I saw the Napoleon movie a couple, maybe a month or two ago. Just thinking about how he got exiled to that island a couple of times. Corsica? uh, Was that the one? It was Corsica for, I don't know anything about Napoleon in those um, history HR. Yeah, like... I, that sounds right, at least one of the two. Yeah, um, I know he's born in Corsica. I don't know if that's where he right. got exiled to. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, just the concept of being exiled, like you just just go live on a cool island, I guess. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and like for him, like, you know, go watch Ronaldo in, <laughs> in Saudi Arabia, even though you obviously pre, pre-Ronaldo. But anyway, Pakistan was useless to America until they became useful again. What would have made Pakistan useful again? 9-11. 9-11. 
So obviously we've kind of covered this a few times in the pod. 9-11, orchestrated by bin Laden. Uh, Al-Qaeda takes refuge in the Taliban because the Taliban gets a lot of money from Al-Qaeda because they've been cut off from so many other international sources. They were really dependent on Al-Qaeda. So they let Al-Qaeda stay in their country and they didn't give them over to the Americans. As a result, Bush invaded Afghanistan and toppled the Taliban and tried to do regime change. Now, if they're going to do that, they need Pakistan. A lot of people in Pakistan want nothing to do with this war on terror. They were like, basically, they kind of saw what, because they knew the, the region well, they were like, this is just going to destabilize our next door neighbor and there'll be a war next door to us forever. You're going to radicalize people. We're going to get bombed as a result of it because we're pro-America and yeah, we're the closest military target for all these Al-Qaeda people. Mm. We want nothing to do with it. The issue is, is that India, because the Soviet Union had fell, India was starting to rise and India was very supportive on the war on terror. And if Pakistan just let India get this W with America... India is going to have way more influence than them because they're getting the American dollars for the military, not Pakistan. Mm. So the Pakistan government, they go along with the war on terror um, and Musharraf leads Pakistan through that era. He has quite a good relationship with George Bush. And even though Musharraf has done a coup against the, the democratic government, the Americans decide, you know what? This is a war on terror and a war on dictatorships, but not that dictatorship. And they're totally cool with Musharraf. And so it's not until 2007 that Musharraf has to leave. He becomes too unpopular. He suspends the constitution and there's an uprising against Musharraf. Not, not, a, not a revolution, but just popular sentiment forces him to flee. And what precipitates this and what brings it along even quicker is that Sharif was in exile. Bhutto's daughter, the prime minister, was also in exile. He, she'd also been exiled by Musharraf. They both come back to Pakistan. So mm-hmm. you can actually, someone has made a documentary. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's pretty interesting. Someone, I think it's an Australian journalist, got on Nawaz Sharif. So the, the guy that got exiled to Saudi Arabia. He ends up in London and he flies from London into Pakistan to try and take Pakistan back. <laughs> it seems like the exile period is just time for these people to plot their revenge. <laughs> it's exactly, it's a scheme. It's <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, friends close, enemies closer, right? Yes. And so that's actually one of the issues is that, so Sharif gets on his flight from London to Pakistan. He does a press conference before he gets on the flight. Wait, just, that, that's so awesome. That like, is so uh, awesome, yeah. Um, it's like, so the injury list we're looking at for today's <laughs> coup. Um, you were at the pub last time, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it's it's pretty it's pretty boss if you ask me and yeah. then it gets on the plane and there's a documentary that that follows him onto the plane and he flies economy class to get back to pakistan mm. and so you're like oh man of the people what a guy really it was just because it was safer for him because he was closer to civilians the whole time yeah and so he gets flown back into pakistan benazir bhutto So Bhutto's daughter also flies back into Pakistan and she leads these mega rallies in Pakistan. The PPP, so her old party, are now incredibly popular because people long for the era of the the early 90s and they've turned against Musharraf. Bhutto gets assassinated. Really? Yeah, like a dad. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, exactly. It's crazy. How? how? What was the means? I think a car, I'm pretty sure a car um, was bombing a car. Oh, wow. So, yeah, like inc- crazy. So, obviously, she turns into a martyr mm. and that just further 
makes the public go against Musharraf. Bhutto's husband then becomes the leader of the PPP. Oh my gosh. I know, what a family dynasty. So the Bhutto's and the Sharifs are two very important families in Pakistan. So the PPP, that's Bhutto. Mm-hmm. And the PML, the League, that's Sharif. Yep. Now, Sharif is the one that came back on the plane. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, so Sharif's back. And in 2008, Pakistan has finally has elections again. Probably not clean elections by any means, but elections at least. Mm-hmm. Bhutto's PPP wins. And they come to power in 2008. And Musharraf is then exiled. And he is in London in exile. Big mistake. (laughs) (laughs) So we fast forward to 2013. So so he's exiled to London. He was a war on terror ally. That's not... it's not a bad place to be exiled. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> be in Paddington. It's a, it's, a good, like, it's, it's a good era for football. As yeah. Well. Like, I'd like, would have liked to be in London in 2008. Yeah. So he does like podcasts and interviews in London yeah. in that era. So anyway, we fast forward to 2013. And so oh, before we get there, actually, we need to begin to start talking about Imran Khan at this point. Mm. We're an hour and eight minutes in. It's going to be a heavy Imran Khan finish. Yeah. But we are now finally going to talk about Imran Khan. Okay. PY. Bit of background on just Imran Khan, oh. the cricketer. He's a good cricketer. A bowler. Yeah. <laughs> In the 90s? Yeah. Okay. Captain? Captain yeah. of the Pakistan team? Could, yeah. he, could he bat a little as well? Maybe? Yeah. So he's... All-rounder. He was the captain of Pakistan's only World Cup winning team. Oh, okay. He has a better bowling average than Ravi Ashwin today. Okay. What was his bowling average? Like 20, I think. 20? Yeah. It's pretty good. 2021, 20, somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, and his batting average was better than Ben Stokes' day. Oh, wow. Yeah. So mm. he wasn't just a cricketer. He was like l- legendary. And he was like a, a Shane Warne figure, well, like minus kind of like everything else that came with Shane Warne. Mm. In the same way that Warney was revered in Australia, uh, Khan is revered yeah. very much in, in, in Pakistan. What's his, you've got his stats there? I'm trying, but it comes up with always politics stats first. <laughs> politics stats. <laughs> What's your KD? <laughs> One, two. <laughs> two arrests. Here we go. Quick info. A lot of good players are... Uh, in that time Yeah like the Wazam Akram era Akram Riaz Was that another one maybe Wahab uh, I don't know uh, Born in Lahore Pin- Punjab Well what's his batting at <laughs> Played for New South Wales Oh he's born in Punjab Yeah Punjab's in Pakistan Right 88 tests Isn't Punjab in India I think Punjab's in India it It's is. a pro- It's it's it a Punjab's A broader area It's a province in Pakistan Oh yeah 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 No you're right uh, bowling average of 22.8. Oh, 22.8. Okay. Pretty, it's pretty handy. It's it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That's very... Like... Yeah. That's cream. cream yeah. Cream the crop. And so, to lead Pakistan to the golden era of cricket, to give them a World Cup in the 1990s, is absolutely insane. So, in India, there is a state called Punjab, and in Pakistan, there is a province called Punjab. Yes. So, there you go. Or it's both owned of, by both of them. Both of which speak Punjabi. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was they undisputed? So, in India, India is Hindu Punjab. Yes. Yeah. Pakistan is Muslim Punjab. Mm. They're saying that is pretty much undisputably the best cricket player Pakistan has produced. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, like... Incredible. And so in the 1990s, he forms a party uh, called the Pakistan Tasharif, which translates to Pakistan Justice Party. One real, like, one big issue for Khan is corruption. And so basically he forms this party 
to fight against corruption. Now, the military actually supports this party because corruption is the charge they use to delegitimize civilian governments. And it's not, an unf- it's, not, it's not at all an unfair accusation. They are corrupt as, but that's the weapon they use to try and take down civilian governments with coups. Mm-hmm. We had to do this because they were corrupt. So the military is actually very supportive of Imran Khan's party. And so in 2002, he actually picks up one seat, him. He gets his, he gets his own seat in parliament and mm-hmm. he supports Musharraf's government, the, the military general before he fled to London. Yep. In 2008, after Musharraf goes to London, he boycotts those elections. So again, he's, he's heavily on the side of the military. We go to 2013, again, governed by the PPP in Pakistan. In 2013... Nawaz Sharif, the leader of the Pakistan Muslim League, he's back as Prime Minister. He wins election. So, what, 14 years since the coup in 1999, he's back now as the leader of Pakistan. Mm. And then Khan picks up something about like 30 seats in the parliament. So he gets a pretty healthy number of seats to be an influential minority party in the Pakistani parliament. Mm -hmm. Nawaz Sharif, who does he have beef with? Person, not a country. Mm. Is it Imran? Not Imran Khan, initially. Eventually, is yes. Mates, is he mates with Bhutto or are they? Bhutto. Well, oh, no, uh, opposition, yeah. Mm. So it's Bhutto's husband. He, Bhutto's husband. Bhutto's yeah. husband doesn't have the last name Bhutto, which is where it gets yeah. confusing. Mm. But yeah, he's no enemy of the Bhutto, Bhutto family. Bhutto adjacent. Yeah, yeah, but not not as big an enemy as someone else. Yeah. I'm struggling. The names are all blurred. Mush, so the general Musharraf that's in London. Okay. So basically, yeah. he gets tried for, like, he, like the his government puts forward high treason charges against Musharraf for suspending the constitution and for overthrowing the government mm-hmm. back in 1999. Musharraf, right, chilling in London. He decides he's going to come back to Pakistan. Oh, that's why I thought, so you've got two people that return from London that they're like, it's my turn to take yeah, the exactly. country back. Yeah. So Musharraf comes back and he's like, I'm here to like liberate Pakistan from Shawish rule and basically like fight these corruption charges. He realizes he's going to lose and then he flees again. I think he also goes to Saudi Arabia. He only died about a year ago. Okay. So he is basically kind of dealt with once and for all by, by Sharif and Bushraf is now finally out of the picture. And so what Sharif starts to do is he starts to make moves against the military and he starts to try and bring civilian control back under the, the control of the, of, of the Pakistan Muslim League. Because what had happened was the Pakistan Muslim League had fractured into supporters of Musharraf and then supporters of Sharif. So it was the PMLQ that supported Musharraf. Now they're pretty much, they're a fringe party in parliament. It's the PMLN, so the Pakistan Muslim League, Nawaz, that are now the dominant party. And Nawaz Sharif has brought the military completely under the control of the civilian government. Oh, he's, tried, sorry, he's tried to bring the Pakistani military mm-hmm. completely under the control of the government. Yeah. Obviously, the military doesn't like this very much. And they've lost Musharraf, so Musharraf's gone. So now they need a new guy to try and advance their interests and lobby their interests. Who are they turning towards? Who would be their messiah? Bhutto. No. <laughs> Bhutto husband. No. <laughs> the cricket player. Imran, Imran Khan. <laughs> now Dominated in the 70s, 80s and 90s. <laughs> Let's get him in the politics now. Yeah, exactly. So he's picked up, so he's chilling with about 30 seats. He's the leader of like, I don't know, imagine if the Greens was a bit bigger. Like that's kind of the equivalent to what Imran Khan is. He's the leader of a significant minority party, but he is also a legend in Pakistan for his cricketing credentials. Now, 
I was listening to ABC radio as I was driving to the Blue Mountains during the summer of cricket. Okay. And on the radio, all I know is it wasn't Stuart Clark. So I won't slander him, but it was one of the other Australians. He's on air. It could have even been with Wazim Akram. I think Wazim Akram did ABC yeah. and Fox. And he goes to Wazim Akram. He goes, so just checking, what's Imran Khan up to these days? <laughs> and Wazim Akram's like, um, he's in jail. And the guy's like, oh, oh, really? It's like, yeah, it was a massive news story last year. <laughs> and this Australian guy is just thinking Imran Khan, the cricketer, completely neglecting the fact that he'd been in power since 2018 and was arrested in very controversial circumstances back in 2023. Now, to kind of understand that story, 2018, the military throws everything it has at trying to get Imran Khan to win. So what happens is Sharif actually gets arrested again so poor Noah Sharif, he's had a bit of a turbulent lifestyle. Like I said, the Sharif family are a big family. They have lots of money and they had undeclared assets and undeclared companies in offshore in offshore territories. So that's a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. This was revealed in the Panama Papers. Because of that, corruption gets, gets arrested and is taken out of the picture. Noah Sharif's brother then becomes the leader of the party. So you've got the PPP... Butoh's husband's out of the picture now. They're, they're under control of someone else. You've got Sharif's brother and you've got Imran Khan. They're the three power brokers in Pakistan. In 2018, Imran Khan won by forming a minority coalition with some of the really fringe parties in the fringe areas of Pakistan. What's Imran Khan's... Like, he's a, a one-issue party at this point. What's his issue that he rallies against? Bounces. <laughs> <laughs> it's corruption. Okay. Gonna stamp out corruption. He's gonna stamp out corruption, and he has this massive campaign against corruption, mm. where basically I think it was something like 487 billion rupees were recovered. Don't ask me to translate that to Australian dollars. I don't know what that is in Australian dollars, but it's 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 a sizable amount of money. It was more mm. it was more done under Imran Khan than in the ten years prior. We're gonna make enemies doing that. A lot of people say, "Oh, this is purely a political witch hunt. You're just trying to get rid of." of your political enemies. Imran Khan goes, no, I'm getting rid of people in my own party that are corrupt as well. This is a good faith. I've advocated for this since the 1990s. The issue was that Pakistan slipped further down on the corruption index under Imran Khan than before Imran Khan. Mm. But he does this massive campaign. That's not the issue that ends Imran Khan. He does make enemies, but the military likes this and they're the ones you need to keep happy. He gets a cult-like status. He kind of, in the same way that Indians view Modi, Imran Khan, at least in the metropolitan areas of Pakistan, that's his sort of perception. He's very much enamoured in central Pakistan because he takes down corruption and he takes wickets yeah. and scores centuries. <laughs> so he, he, like he, can't, he can do no wrong in the metropolitan areas. The, the rural areas, they don't love him anywhere near as much. But the metropolitan areas, they really like Imran Khan. Um, and so he starts to get very confident. And he probably starts to get overconfident, if you ask me. And he starts to think that he can take the military because he'll have the public on his side, whatever the military does. One issue is that he, the military gives, them, like, gives him recommendations for who should be appointed into key positions and Khan ignores those recommendations and just makes his own appointments on his own volition. Red flag for the military. Mm-hmm. Probably not the issue that sunk him, though. The issue that sunk him was probably Russia-Ukraine. So, okay. February 2022, he has a meeting booked with Putin 
on, I believe, the 22nd of February. Mm. What else happens that day? Is that, when is that, is that the, uh, when the Russia invade Ukraine? The special yes. military operation? So just a couple of hours before Khan's meeting with Putin, huh. it's just like, a, oh, hey, it's Putin's secretary here. Just, um, yeah. just you're, you're all good for your appointment with Putin today. He's still good to go ahead. We have launched an operation against Ukraine, <laughs> but um, we we, tr- we trust that, that that won't change anything. Yeah, is there like a you know it's booked in on the Google Calendar or something yeah. or on the Outlook, and then there's Putin puts in an out of office for, uh, <laughs> for the day. Sorry, we're gonna have to postpone. <laughs> Thank you for your email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, yes, exactly. And so basically, what happens is Khan's faced with a a pretty big dilemma mm. do you proceed with the meeting or not you've got three hours to weigh up all the geopolitical consequences for both sides of the equation um that's a big three hours probably want to have a chat to him though as well yeah, yeah. and like again you could I take the angle of like one, i'm yeah. just gonna talk, talk talk some sense into him yeah. um america has, has ever since the war on terror ended because think about it remember where was osama bin laden cat like found again it was pakistan right? pakistan yeah, okay now pakistan claimed they had no idea that he was there <laughs> America doesn't believe that Big at all. Country. Now, it would go against Pakistan's interests, particularly the government's interest, to keep him there because they want America did on the, side. Did the Pakistani government ha- have something to do with uh, revealing that location, though? No. No. CIA did it by torturing people. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and through interrogation. Yeah. So, basically, um, that America, America and, and Pakistan had been falling out for quite a while. Khan had a decent relationship with Donald Trump, less so with Joe Biden. So Pakistan had replaced America with a new close ally. Who is Pakistan's closest ally right now? Is it Russia? No, but you right, right ballpark. Ukraine. Or the, 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 the China. China. So, and China and Russia, like Russia, Russia, Ukraine is perceived by China as a proxy war between America and them. So obviously by condemning Putin quite heavily, that could annoy that could annoy China a lot, and that could really antagonise their ally in China by going along with the West condemnation of Putin. Because China's whole approach was let's just slow this whole thing down. No, we're not going to launch into a condemnation of Putin right now because that's you like you're trying to manoeuvre this conflict as a way to position your like American power against Russia and China, and so China doesn't go along with that at all. And Pakistan are in this dilemma because if they do condemn Putin and cancel the meeting, they really antagonize China. Imran Khan decides that he doesn't want to antagonize China and he goes ahead with the meeting and they talk through things like a Russia to Pakistan pipeline. So he actually goes ahead with the meeting. Wow, so Putin just a little, little side quest kind of thing whilst he's... Yeah, he's, exactly. He's got exactly. the main mission going on, but he's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll build a pipeline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they'd say, again, they're like, how your head is not spinning during that meeting yeah. talking about like... Surely Putin was, he was surely a little distant. Yeah. Surely, <laughs> surely a couple of times, uh, sorry, what was, sorry, can you, can, you say, can you repeat that Imran? Sorry, my, my head was elsewhere. My wife, I cut out, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so Khan supports Putin. He doesn't join in the condemnation. He just says we're neutral. He's like, that's a Russia-Ukraine issue, not a, not a Pakistan issue. This does not... America does not like this very much. Mm. In April of 2023, yep. a vote of no confidence went ahead against Imran Khan. In the US or in? In Pakistan. In Pakistan. So right, the pa- okay. so Pakistani Congress, who is the prime minister, mm. he has a majority. So if all his party guys stay loyal to him, that vote doesn't go through. Mm. Khan gets a whiff that two people are going to defect. 
So Khan, oh. what he tries to do, he tries is he tries to. I was sounding very Jessica Pierce and Daniel Hardman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to call for a vote of no confidence tonight, Jessica. So he suspends Parliament and dissolves it. The Supreme Court goes, no, you can't do that. And so eventually the vote of no confidence goes ahead. Khan gets taken out as, as Prime Minister and is really con- controversial. He's gone now. Sharif's brother becomes the new caretaker Prime Minister. So the Sharif family, important mm-hmm. family. And the, the key general, uh, General Badwa, he goes ahead and actually is much more su- supportive of Ukraine since Imran Khan is gone. Mm-hmm. So allegations of conspiracy here. Before he was actually ousted, Imran Khan said, I've got a cable right here that shows that America was trying to get rid of me. And he waves it around. America dismissed this as a conspiracy straight away. A cable. A cable, like a, oh, a yeah. telegram sort of thing. Great. Mm. Now, oh, like, like minute, minutes, from, get that. minutes from a meeting. Oh, yeah. Now, <laughs> basically, he's like, this is a meeting between an American official and the Pakistani ambassador to America. And I've got that document and I can prove it. Eventually, he doesn't get his window and moves the mate against him. In November of 2022, he gets shot. Oh, Imran. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do remember kind of... Non, non-fatal, yeah, but yeah, gets shot, shot in the leg. Mm-hmm. In May of 2023... And then that was a, like an assassination attempt? Yeah. Yeah. In May of 2023, he gets arrested on corruption charges. Mm-hmm. Now, whether in the corruption, the irony of like the guy who rallied against corruption, look... I have no doubt that the PTI would do favors for nefarious parties to try and raise money and stay in power. I, I have no, like in Pakistan, it'd be pretty hard to survive in government without doing that. Okay. So, but that's not why those charges were brought forward at all. It's clearly an attempt to get rid of Imran Khan. Uh, there's mass protests in Pakistan where 21 people get killed. A whole bunch of like police officers and army officers get killed. Um, military headquarters were invaded by angry civilians. So people call this like Pakistan's January the 6th moment. Mm. So there's this mass uprising in in May. So they decide to release Imran Khan on bail. We fast forward to August. Gets done for another corruption charge. Gets arrested again. Judge doesn't want a repeat of the um, protests. So he gives him a suspended sentence. But then to add to the story... The cable that Imran Khan was talking about gets leaked by an American outlet. Mm. Imran Khan was not lying. So I need to get the official job title because it's a very wordy job title. So the Assistant Secretary of State for South and Central Asian Affairs. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> so his name's Donald Blue. I'd love to see what his LinkedIn's got. Yeah, I was going to um, say, I'd struggle to fit on the, on the one line in the LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Donald Blue has a meeting with... The ambassador for for with the Pakistan's ambassador to America, where basically he says we've interpreted this as Imran Khan is the prime. This is a prime minister's issue, not a Pakistani issue. We don't think that Pakistan's not loyal on this one. We think that the prime minister's not loyal. Should Imran Khan be removed, all will be forgotten. More or less, that's what he says. Mm. Or, like, or like, should the prime minister go, all will be forgotten. Mm. And so, again, it's like the Gough Whitlam thing, it's not a smoking gun by any means. It doesn't prove that America were behind it. But given how close the Pakistani military is to America and how much they've relied on their funding in years gone by, given the fact that this army that America's helped propped up is giving them no return on their investment by having nothing to do with Russia, Ukraine, and given the fact that since Imran Khan has gone, General Bajwa has been much more pro-Ukraine than Imran Khan was and has moved the foreign policy in a very different direction... 
Imran Khan's probably not far from the truth. Mm. Yeah, you might be exaggerating the extent of the American influence, but clearly something is array here. And so the irony is that was a classified document. You're not allowed to reveal meetings between a Pakistan, between an ambassador and an American um, government official. Because Imran Khan waved that document around back in 2022 and made allusions to what should be classified material, Mm. he's broken government's document secrecy laws. Mm. And that gets him landed in jail, faces 10 years. He's, He's in jail today. And so next month, in about two or three weeks, Pakistan's got their 2024 elections. It is going to be crazy. Mm. So for all, all, all the listeners, like actually stay tuned for that one. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's, I think it's way more interesting than what the Republican primaries where we all knew Donald Trump was going to win. <laughs> and <laughs> like all these people are dropping out being like, yeah, we fought hard. It's like you were polling at like 0.5% the whole time. <laughs> like, come on. Um, it's going to be a really interesting election. And so, yeah. And again, that's under the assumption that it's going to be a free election, which it won't be at all. Wow. Stay tuned. Yeah. We're going to do a react episode. (laughs) (laughs) Three white guys break down. The Pashtun 37th district. (laughs) Is there like like a Kanye West equivalent that's going to be running in one of these districts? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, is uh, Amir Jamal gonna like after his amazing summer in Australia? <laughs> like for the last twenty years or so, Pakistan has been a dangerous place. Oh yeah, to go to. What was? What's the reason for the for the danger there? Because it's next door. So America invades Afghanistan. Yeah. Al Qaeda, Taliban don't like that. Okay. Radical groups have been trained to target American targets. And, and the closest American targets are in Pakistan. Because okay. America had, like, we're using military bases in Pakistan and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so that's why no cricket teams went there. Yeah, very dangerous place to go. And, like, because there was the whole issue when the Taliban returned, Australia didn't go and play in Afghanistan, and Rashid Khan was very upset with it. Um, well, Afghani- no, Afghanistan were going to play in Australia, and they, uh, yeah, they said no. Oh, it was the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. So, or the Australian was like, "Well, we don't want to." It was because because the Taliban don't believe in like women being able to play sport. So, was that the reason? Like, we 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 boycott the ta- we boycott the Afghanistan Afghanistan because of their government doesn't believe in women's cricket. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I thought I thought mm. it was more a player safety issue. We need to get Combank involved in this. The game was meant to be in Tasmania. Oh, okay. Um, like, I understand, like, because everyone was like, oh, Rashid Khan, like, get triggered, lol. It's like, yeah. oh, I can understand his frustration when this government has toppled his country's government yeah. and kept them in war for 20 years and then a, sa- sanctimoniously lectures his game on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, it was a lose-lose yeah. for Cricket Australia. Like, they couldn't. Oh, I'm not saying they should have yeah. gone ahead, but I'm just saying I'm more talking like the the Australians that were like to Rashid yeah. Khan. I'm like, hold up. No, you have he, no right to lecture this guy. He just wants to play cricket, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it's basically from, from in 2022, because, again, because peace, like we're talking post-Doha agreement, Taliban, like America agreed to withdraw for Taliban. 
So next door in Pakistan was much safer to play in. Mm. They got to return and play, obviously under maximum security yeah. that followed the team around and everything. Yeah. But yeah, they actually could go ahead and play. Okay. But yeah, dangerous, like crazy place to go. Yeah. Um, mm. So yeah, if the uh, 2020 plans fall through on the Upper East Side next year, <laughs> we do have a backup plan. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to Balochistan. Good to be back. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Get PY on deal or no deal. <laughs> Getting those Cora forums. <laughs> Find out what CEO Hull Huck begins next week for part two of the Pakistan special on the Mr. M History Podcast. Get PY on deal or no deal and join the Patreon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.